Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is Robert Fisher, and I'm the host of Monergy Life. I'm really, really excited tonight to inaugurate the show. It's been a minute. In fact, it's been over two years since I had a show. Let me just allay the fears or concerns of any of the audience. It was not because I succumbed to the disease du jour that people had over the last uh, year. Jose. Hey, how's it going, Robert? It's going great. I was just doing an introduction to say how pleased I am to have you as my guest on the inaugural show. And I was telling the audience that the reason that I haven't done the show for over two years is not because I succumbed to the famous disease that's been going on in the last two years, as you and I both know. (laughs) It's just that I was occupied. Clarify that. But I'm so pleased to be back. Josue, how are you doing? I know it's afternoon for you because you're calling in from Hawaii. How are you doing today? Oh, it's a beautiful, hot Friday afternoon here and just uh, getting warmed up in the middle of the day here and been looking forward to seeing what your show is all about and, and appreciate the invitation. So I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy that you're happy to be here as well. I thought it was a really opportune topic to start off the first show after two years on the topic of the state of the world. And I really couldn't think of anybody else that I'd want to discuss the state of the world with, except for you, Josue. And that's because our listeners don't know this, but Josue and I have met for lunch a number of times over the last two years, contemplating the world situation and the state of the world. So when I thought of a topic for the first show, and Josue agreed with me, why not share some of our insights that we've had over the last two years with some of our prospective insights about the state of the world? Josue, the first question I have for you is, what is the state of the world today? For such a broad question, it, it's, it's really, I think, one of fear. That's in simple terms. And fear comes, or it wears many masks. And what, what, what perpetuates fear is, I believe, a, a certain sense of being not focused or in tune with, with yourself, in, in essence. Or this, this fear is, is bringing about having people face certain things that maybe they just haven't faced for a long time and they've come due. So in essence, the state of the world is fear. As broad as, as, as broad a topic as it is, that is the general consensus that I feel. Now, someone can say, who are you to make such an assessment? Who are you to have such judgment upon the world? Again, it's simply my opinion and my observation. And I don't think we have time enough to go through my background, all the things that I've experienced, but it's, it's almost in life when you, when you go through enough things that you experience, 
you start getting a little bit of experience, whether regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of what background you have, you see a certain pattern in, in certain conditions or situations that bring you to a conclusion, kind of like a doctor makes an assessment and diagnoses a patient with an illness. So your overriding thought when I asked you the question is that the world is in a state of fear. Now, it's really interesting because I certainly agree that fear has played a huge part over the last couple of years in terms of people's behavior and what motivated their behavior, what motivated their paranoia, et cetera. But I feel that at this moment, things are shifting. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think that a lot of people now have come to the realization that, and this may sound a little Pollyanna, what I'm about to say, but I think they've come to the realization that there's no mileage in being afraid. And what is there really to be afraid of? I feel that this is an emerging feeling that I'm getting. And what it leads me to are two points. One, the opposite of fear is love. But I'm going to talk about something else because the fear you're talking about is based on negative projections into the future. So when I hear what you're saying, I'm thinking there's a huge movement of people, and I've seen it in many different modalities on many different social media platforms. The big movement is to live right now in the present and deal with what's in your immediate surroundings. And you want to know something, Josue, this gives me a lot of hope for the state of the world. What do you think about that? I, I can, again, from the point of view of, of myself, it, it, with what we've gone through on, on a global scale as, as in general a, a level of consciousness that everyone seems to be, have, you know, have been stuck in, uh, that perpetuated this fear is, uh, it is, there is that sense that you only have right now and you don't know what tomorrow brings, especially as the conditions seem to exacerbate in, in Ukraine with what's occurring there, that you have surprise after surprise. You, you ask yourself, well, what's next? Well, if, if you just don't know what's next or it could be another big event, then I think it, it does make people feel like, you know what, I just might as well live my life for today because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And right. I, I think part of that is going to allow people to get away from attaching themselves to things that really in, in the whole scheme of life aren't really that important, such as materialistic things, or, or really get past of saying, you know what, my parents, my friends, maybe others wanted me to do X, Y, Z, but instead I'm going to do what I feel is going to make me happy and, and open up a reconnection with people's true, true essence, true talent, true ability, so that it almost makes the uh, kind of like training wheels of life come off 
and more than willing to venture out and take some risks. I I love that. And in a sense, when I asked you the first question to start off our conversation, what is the state of the world today? I was, I had something else in my mind. And the answer you gave me was the external world, the events in the external world. I want to turn the listeners on to a book that I turned you on to, it's called I Am That by Siri, Siri Maharaj. I Am That. Anyone can find it on Amazon. And it's, there's an interesting quote in that book in which the Maharishi says, there will always be man-made or natural disasters, but it's nothing to be horrified about. And what he means by that is that these things are happening in the external reality that we all can easily find out about by turning on the news. But there always will be natural disasters. There always will be wars. But the question is, is that really your reality? And I don't want to get into a whole conversation about what reality is uh, tonight, Hostway. I just wanted to point that out, that, that there's almost a dualistic way of looking at this question of the state of the world. Yes, we have all kinds of external threats by governments, by various fluctuations in the economy, which can appear really threatening to people, especially people who are on a fixed income or whose income is, uh, is, is not so secure. There will always be those situations. Yet, here again, this comes to another movement that's going on, and you and I have spoken about this, is that it's very possible that each one of us is actually living in our own self-created reality. And these things that we call the world are almost like things that are on the back burner of the stove. We know they're going on, they're percolating, but they don't really affect our reality if we don't let them. And I just wanted to bring that up. But, be, but uh, Josue, do you have any comments about that? And after that, I want to go into some of your specific ideas about things for the future. And that, that's, that's uh, again, what, what I love about having conversations with you, Robert, is that I often feel that I'm sometimes coming from this politically correct, uh, talking about the topics that everyone is talking about, and, and, and you, through our conversations in, in the time that I've known you, you always kind of brought it back to saying and reminding me, which I value, to say that doesn't have to be your reality. And that is so true. And I brought up the question to you is, now, if I don't make that my reality and I get away from that, but yet I still witness it in the external world, does it then, the conflict then I, I asked you about was, does you get to a point where you become disconnected and, and to not care, but you, you always remind me that that it doesn't have to mean that. It just doesn't mean that you have to attach yourself to it. And this is something that, that I'm, I'm learning to practice because there is value in that and, and, and giving yourself that power to have control over the reality that you create. Even amongst all that externally seems to be happening out there because in, in truth, I, I am living a life that 
it, it seems to my own making in a way that is that is gratifying and rewarding, even with all things that are occurring. And I guess that's my two. That's what I have to say about you know in your particular question. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that what you said is extremely valid, and it almost confirms the point that I'm making is that in a sense we're living in, in dualistic worlds. We have the world of the events going on around us. We have the world of stories that people tell us, horrible events, earthquakes, floods, hurricanes. No doubt those things exist. And when you're confronted with them on, uh, right in your face, you have to deal with it. But when you're not in that situation, A, you don't have to deal with it. Your heart can go out to people, but it doesn't have to be in a way that drags you down. And it doesn't have to be a, a source of sadness for you to know that there's a war going on or there's a certain calamity. In, in a sense, it's almost natural for these things to go on. And when the Maharishi said that there's nothing to be horrified about natural or man-made calamities, I, w- I was a little shocked when I read that at first as well, but I've come to understand that it does not mean that you don't care about the people involved in those things at all. It just means that you could almost detach from it in a way and observe it and not have it really impact your life. Because what good does it do if you're sad about a war going on half the world away? The only thing it does is reduce your immunity, reduce the effectiveness in your life, and probably spread sadness throughout your day when you're meeting people if this is what you bring up in conversation. And really, does that do any good in the world? Probably not, right? It, I think it's super important what you, what you just said. And, and, and if more people took note of that or if they are practicing that, they are in a much better place because it is something that you've brought to my attention. And, and I... I go over this conversation or I, or I visualize what you just said, and it's very true. It's very powerful because it doesn't serve anyone, specifically yourself, to be sucked into that vacuum of that energy. And as you were talking, one of the things that came to mind, I pictured a, a storm outside, and it's raining. It's raining really hard, and it's cold. And you have a small little flame going on in front of you, whether it's made by a couple of sticks or by a candle. And as I visualize, visualize this storm and you're trying to keep warm, I sense that the important thing is to focus on keeping that fire lit, to protect it from that storm by either hovering your hands or, or creating some kind of cover to not let that fire go out. And I view that as the same essence of your 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 essence of of being in in a good place to to protecting your your good energy or or your good state of mind. That even with a storm out there, you have to be focused on on the greater good or or, or your own goodness within yourself. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And what you just said reminded me of uh, something that I read in a New York Times article about a Syrian guy who escaped from Syria. He was in the army, 
and it took him five or six months to get out of the country. And somebody asked him, do you regret anything about that experience? And his response was, I regret that I didn't enjoy myself more while I was trying to get out of the country. <laughs> Which I think wow. says it all. I think that says it all in that joy is available always to us if we, if we could tap into it. And everybody has different mental and emotional potential obstacles that prevent them from being in a state of joy, prevent them from having the attitude of the eight-year-old child who can have a fight with somebody or get scraped, and two minutes later they're laughing. They've forgotten about the whole thing. I think that's the kind of energy and that's the kind of spirit we should be looking to reconnect with as adults. And I believe it is definitely possible to do this. There's no question in my mind. Uh, you, you know, you might call it aspirational, but I think with the right techniques, with practice, with sincerity, you can get to the place in your life where you are connected to joy almost all the time, regardless of the external events going on around you. And on that note, I want to ask you, what are the things that give you hope for the immediate future? When I see, for me, it's, it's, it's the, the small things and coming, I guess, from maybe a place of, of gratitude. Like right now behind me, I'm hearing birds chirping and singing. And God, I wish I, I could understand what they were saying, but even without me understanding it, it's that beauty of that sound. And it's the small little thing. Sometimes watching an interaction of a person being helpful to another person gives hope and inspiration that it's at, at the most basic level, these everyday activities, these actions of, of just generosity, of respect, consideration, or just observing the world around you, the, the things that are already there that have always been there, like the birds chirping. Those, for, for me personally, that's, that's what gives me hope for, for the world. And, and, and it may seem totally off of what maybe you were expecting as an answer. No, I wasn't expecting anything. I just threw out the question to you yeah. um, <laughs> after, after my, uh, my, uh, my spiel about, about that, the eight-year-old child. And I was just curious what you thought uh, in terms of what you consider to be hope for the future. And I, from the time that I've known you, which is close to two years, I, I know that you're a hopeful kind of person, and I know you have a lot of varied interests. Would you like to share with us some of the most interesting and thought-provoking interests that you are involved with right now? I, I, you heard me give a, a brief talk on the metaverse and, and the potential that the technology behind the virtual reality, augmented reality has. And I believe it's, it's going to be a tremendously powerful tool for good. And of course, like anything else, it's a tool. So it can also have its negative ramifications that any tool has. One of the applications that I was recently 
playing around with is called Maloka. It's a meditation application in the metaverse. And you're building your own island. Every time you visit your island, there's a spiritual presence or force there that follows you. You, you, you create plants and you, you give energy to the plants and as you give them your attention, the plants grow. And you, go into, you pour yourself and you go into an area where you meditate. You do different types of meditations. For, typically, I do it for five minutes. You practice breathing. And you're, you're, you're transported mentally, but it, it has an effect. And I feel these types of tools can have tremendous application in, in mental health, in creativity. So that's one of the areas that interests me is as the metaverse grows, how it's going to become more and more a part of our lives and how we communicate more and more connected. And it's going to create a, almost like a, a dual reality. We already have a dual reality than a, another reality. A, a triple reality. <laughs> An endless reality. A universe, <laughs> metaverse of reality. Could you share with our listeners a brief description of the metaverse for those who are not familiar with it? The metaverse is, if you've ever heard of Second Life, is creating this digital world that exists that is possible as a result of several technologies coming together, high-speed internet, faster processors, virtual reality headsets, and software that kind of helps bring all of this together that allows you to see things in three dimensions. So it's more immersive, it's more responsive. You have controllers that vibrate. Uh, for instance, I, I went to the Grand Canyon yesterday in, in the metaverse, and when, when you touch the rock, the, the handset vibrates, so it feels like you're actually touching the, the wall rock. And the experience are enriching and in, in not necessarily being physically there, but being as close to the real thing. Before we read in books about all these amazing places in the metaverse, we're going to travel to them and feel like we're experiencing them. And in a nutshell, that's what the metaverse is. It's like the internet on steroids. Well, what's the benefit of going to a Grand Canyon, I assume, in 3D, correct? Correct. When you could actually go there in the flesh. I mean, how do you think the experiences are different in terms of the effect it might have on you? One of the things that I've, I've been playing around with, with VR for, for a couple of years, and my favorite application is Google Earth. And I would go around the world, different places that I wanted to visit, and as a result, it, it, it created this curiosity of learning and wanting to go there physically. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that's what it's going to do is, is going to open up the world even more for us in a way that 
plant seeds of, of curiosity, of learning, of interest, and actually make people want to go to these locations. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, another, it's another communication tool. Right. And if now we let can't me be there you... physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. You, can't, you, you're, you can't be there physically, so you're there in the metaverse. I get it. I'm just curious how you think that if more people get immersed in the metaverse and all of its applications, is that going to make people feel more connected to one another or actually more disconnected from one another? Again, it's, it's, you're always going to have you know, a certain percentage of society that, that is, can get sucked into anything whether it's watching too much TV, being on the internet, social media, et cetera. But it's simply a tool of communication that can enrich our experiences. That's how I view it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it does, it does have the potential to suck people, especially as it, as it develops. Just like the internet today is a critical component. It's a part of our lives that we just can't uh-huh. ignore. The metaverse is going to continue to grow and it's going to transform numerous areas of our lives from healthcare, from retail, technology, communications, travel, how we, how we learn, how we interact. So it's, it's, it's another phase in the evolution of technology. It's, it's inevitable. And, and another adjust, phase in the, in the evolution of humanity, too. Correct. So an interesting question came to mind as you were describing this. So how do you think the metaverse is going to affect all the fear that's going on in the external world right now? In some ways, it could either lead to people turning toward the metaverse, just like they are... Uh, a large part of our society spends a lot of time online playing video games. And for a lot of them, they, they have personas that are influential. Whereas perhaps in their day job, they, they may work at a fast food restaurant, but in the metaverse or online, they need, you know, 20,000 followers around the world because of their, their skill set and how they play a certain video game. Mm-hmm. So as always, it, it's that social influence that as social beings that we are, we're going to find an avenue where we can best project that ability or that potential. So are and you saying... Yeah, that the metaverse is, is essentially just another tool and is, in a, in a way, neutral in terms of how it might affect the, some of the ills we spoke about in the external reality, like wars and things like that? It may have the potential of perpetuating both, just like gaming has the potential of perpetuating violence. So it's really what we gravitate as it's an open field, just like the Internet, you can go and, and put in a website that can be about positivity and joy and happiness mm-hmm. or one that it's about death and destruction and, and all the darkness 
that, that can, you can find. So I, it's going to bring both. It's, it really is what, what you're looking for, and it's going to open a lot of opportunity in how we communicate, how we live, but it does have that dark side that inevitably that, that any tool or technology has, just like the Internet or social media or, or mobile phones. But it's exciting at the same time. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Going back to the topic of our conversation, the state of the world, what do you think is the most powerful energy available to people right now to make a change in the world? I almost have to take a deep breath to really absorb the, the magnitude of, of, of your question. And I come to, to mind the words as within, as without, as above, as below. And as you mentioned, it's all an external reflection, oftentimes of what's going on internally. So if we look within and search within and listen to our, to our inner core, if we're feeling pain, if we're feeling discomfort or anxiety or, or any of those, listen to those emotions and follow their source of where they're coming from and often you will get the answer so to answer your question is to look within to understand yourself and as you better understand yourself you better understand the world around you and you can influence the world around you by better having an understanding of yourself know thyself Well, I couldn't agree with you more about that response, and I think in your response you touched on a concept which we could discuss for a really long time. Well, one, maybe two things. Uh, The concept of oneness, that on a certain level we're all one, and on a certain level the external world is a reflection of our own thoughts and reality. Those two are obviously combined. And for a lot of people that's a very tough thing to contemplate and to accept that the world is one. Somebody might say, Robert, what are you talking about? How, how can we all be one? But we're really talking on a metaphysical or spiritual level. Obviously the separation in physical bodies, the separation in physical objects is something we observe. But in order to accept that idea that we're all one, I think you have to just, take it another step higher and say, well, all that is is an illusion of sorts and separation is an illusion and separation, believing in separation, believing that we're so separate from everybody else is the cause of a lot of the man-made calamities that we see, such as the war going on now. If those people didn't think of themselves as separate, there would be no reason for one country to be invading another at this moment. Absolutely no reason. So you touched on some really, really important things. And here again, I think there's a movement going on in the world where people are doing exactly what you suggested, Josue, and are looking within to find what feels right to them in the moment, listening to that little voice that we all have. That's our intuition. That's connecting to the source. And that provides some really powerful knowledge to all of us. It's just a question of, can we be taught to listen to that little voice? 
And if more and more people were listening to that little voice within them, the external world as we know it, I think would be in a totally different place. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Some of these strategies that you talk about and, and, and the analytical part of me then wants to say, well, what are the mechanics of, what are the mechanics of getting to that place of joy? What are the mechanics of that connectedness? And, and I think maybe that's where some people lack the fundamental the processes of how to achieve that state of joy, whether it's, it's breathing, whether it's just being aware of your thoughts, whether it's stopping and assessing a situation before you say or do something, and that comes down to a, a discipline. What are the mechanics and how do you then implement these disciplines so that they become a habit? And as the habit takes place, then you start fundamentally creating the results that you desire. Uh, I think those are valid points and questions. Uh, I think the answer to your question is about mechanics is to propagate increased awareness and consciousness in a way that is conducive to the person, to you, or any of our listeners, and to understand fundamentally that who we are, we're not our job, we're not our accomplishments, we're not the amount of money we have, we're not the place we live. We are an energy source that is temporarily in this thing we call a body, we are an energy source. And that energy source is so powerful and unassailable and so joyous. That's the energy source that powers us all. You might want to use the word love to describe it. So if you ask me what's the mechanics to get in touch with that, one of the things that I would advise anybody to do, and something that I do for myself, by the way, is to really understand what self-love is about. And that's a term that's been bantered about for so long that it's almost meaningless. But really, really understand what it means to be in this body, in this moment, on this earth, and how precious that experience is, regardless of what's going on around you. It could be that things are happening that are out of your control. It could be things, it, it could be that your boyfriend or girlfriend just left you. It could be that you just lost a lot of money, or it could be you just made a lot of money. But regardless of what those things are, to be really, really mindful of how precious it is to be here right now. So that's one construct or mechanic that I would respond to you, Josue, in terms of getting in touch with that oneness. And when you become more, uh, more self-sufficient in that way and more able to connect to that self-love more frequently, why would you think that you're separate from any other being on the planet? You would only feel love for everybody that you come into contact with. And of course, that's the next level up after you can really feel that self-love for yourself, 
And everybody else is a reflection of you. Everybody that you meet has to be treated in the best possible way with love. And if more people were doing that and making the effort to understand what that really means, the external world and all of the so-called problems and all the tragedies, over 90% of them, I believe, would just vanish because people would just be too happy just to be. And what I'm suggesting is something that you have to play around with and experience. Once you experience what that really means and feels like, there's no going back. And you really understand how everybody and everything, not just us, but all sentient beings, even your car, even your prized possessions, you're connected to them in ways you, that most of us can't even contemplate. Once you see that connection, once you feel that connection, once you believe that connection, that's it. Those are the mechanics of sway. Now, my playing the devil's advocate, so to speak, is what of survival of the fittest? What of the our senses of, of, that remind us of hunger? of cold, mm-hmm. of the need for for things, of, of greed and, and, and these things that perhaps you could be in that zone, but what if somebody else is not and you are in their path? Are, well, I don't really understand the question when you say I'm in their path. What does that mean? Well, as far as you can be in a place of, of, of love, and, 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 and it goes back to having that sense of faith, I guess, to be in that place, and then things kind of revolve and resolve in, in that direction. And, and it comes back to being having that mindset of that discipline to practice that. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was, I was in Paris. I had just gotten there. And I had heard a lot of people say different things about lots of pickpocketers and, and some, neg- some, you know, th- to be concerned about those things. And, and I tried to clear that out of my head. And I was in a state of, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm open, I'm welcoming, I, I'm not afraid. And in that moment that I went into that state, guess what happened? I got, you I got, got pickpocketed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's interesting. And I made a conscious I I personally made a conscious decision to be just open to, to just hey, I'm I'm free. I'm I'm just not going to have resistance. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be trusting and then, I see. as soon as that happened I got pickpocketed. Can I tell you my response to that? Sure. You were a victim of your own negative projections before you came in. When you said you came to Paris and you had heard there were a lot of pickpockets, the first time I went to Paris was as a very poor student living in Europe, and I never thought about pickpockets. I mean, if somebody was going to pick my pocket, they wouldn't get very much anyway. 
And I had a totally <laughs> joyful experience in Paris. And I think the fact that this even entered your mind, that, that this was some of concern in going to Paris, is what eventually caused that event to happen, in spite of your precautions and, and the way you say you weren't afraid. But you thought about it, and that negative thought drew the situation to you. And, and it just tells you how powerful thoughts are and how we should be aware of them. And, and, exactly. And, and, and exactly. so in essence, you, can, you almost have to have a, a, an airtight, sealed state of mind. Mm-hmm. Which is impossible, by the way. You, <laughs> yeah. That, that's asking so stuff, too so much. going to happen, even, even in... <laughs> I, I believe I that... Yeah. I believe that's never going to be anyone's reality, but you can make it your reality more of the time, not all of the time. There'll be times when you're going to be tired, you're going to be hungover, you're going to be in a bad mood, and something will come your way, some negative energy, and will get into you because your defenses are down. It's always going to happen, but you can minimize it. And it goes back to just a state of awareness. And it's all learning. It, it's all of it is it's just like having this conversation here. It's, it's an assessment and, and learning and awareness. And we're we're going to be vulnerable at times, as you mentioned. But if if we keep our our guard up in that sense of of being in that state of mind to to embrace love, then things should look more positive or have better outcome. Both alternatives. Yeah. And on a certain level, the reality of your life is just naturally joyful and beautiful and loving. It's just that human beings in their evolution and with the fight or flight response are always looking for something that's a threat. It's in, it's in our DNA. You asked me about that earlier, and let me just give you an answer to that, that it's necessary in order to be in, order to be in that joyful state more of the time for us to move beyond what we think is possible, to move beyond what we think our DNA is forcing us to do, to move beyond the evolutionary fear that most people, that's their first response. They just become reactive. So we have to learn to move beyond that and realize that we have a choice. We do not have to respond in these situations in a fearful and reactive way. That takes work. I can't believe the show's almost over, Josue, but that would be my answer to that issue. It, it, you no, know, that's a good point. Is well, that's part of understanding ourselves, knowing how also how we're wired, and and what state of mind we're coming from. Right. And these higher entities of of what you're talking about, of higher levels of consciousness, oftentimes comes more from a a cerebral right. cortex part versus coming from a uh, what do they call that portion of the brain, the the, the limbic system or the or the monkey brain, the lower, or, the yeah. monkey brain, the lower brain. It's, it's the fire and, or flight response. Josue, mm-hmm. we're really coming to the end of the show, and I know we have so much more to discuss, which is why I throw out to you the possibility for this to be a monthly show that we can 
get some feedback from our listeners and we can discuss this further because I think it's a fascinating topic. Cosway Savayos, thank you so much for being on my inaugural show called State of the World. This is Monergy Light. I'm Robert Fisher, your host. I wish you a beautiful and joyful weekend. Josue, thank you so much for being on the show. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much, Robert. It was my pleasure. Please take your name, number, and a brief message, and I'll be sure to get back to you. Thank you. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Postway, just wanted to thank you off the show, um, tell you how grateful I am for being on the show, and...